Hey. Mm, mm, mm. Hi Lokonon is asking that I dress up for work every day. That's so funny. Some days when I'm in the mood. Hi, can you guys hear me? Hi everyone, so nice to see you. So we're just waiting for Angela to join us. How's everybody's day been? Is it just me or is it getting like cold? Oh, I can see Angela's joined us. Hi. Cold, ne? Eesh, look at my scarf, Miss <laughs> Hi. Hello, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm fine. Did I catch you complaining about the weather? Slightly. I'm just like, when did it get so cold, guys? Wow. It's winter. It's May. <laughs> it's time. Also, time just feels like a very abstract concept, thanks it to is. COVID, right? Like, COVID I don't even... If it wasn't for, for work, I honestly wouldn't even know what day it is. Oh, are you going to work daily? So, um, so I'm working from home. I feel like yeah. I'm working more now than I did at the office. Oh, no, that's um, terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Zoom meetings. Zoom meetings. <laughs> I officially dislike Microsoft Teams. Oh, shit. Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. Okay, Microsoft Teams. <laughs> and just, like, calls. Do you know what I mean? I never knew I needed to hear people's voices, like, 10 times a day. So, I'm just I'm going oh, through it. And how's, how's, how have you been? Have you been working from home? I've been working from home. Um, but uh, since yesterday, my team has been coming in in small numbers. So, we've got, like, mm. a schedule. Um, so we just, yeah, trying to kind of control it and contain it and mm. minimize contact and all that stuff that we now all have to get used to. Yeah. And what's, <laughs> what's the vibe being like? Are people like happy to come back because there's some human contact or? 
Yeah, it's a mixed bag. I think we've been uh, conducting meetings online the, the entire time. So yesterday was actually the first kind of mm. official stroke, unofficial day back at work. So some people are saying, shoo, it's, it's, you know, such a breath of fresh air to just be in a different environment, you know? So mm. yeah, I suppose people are all different, but I think it does get to you just being contained, you know, within your yeah. home. 24 7 it's it's a very tough life it's uh, it's very difficult to adjust to sure yeah yeah you know and you also don't realize how much you um people are saying we also sorry we also use microsoft teams to teach online i don't mind teams i do mind the never-ending tcs if we didn't have as many teleconferences on teams i just wouldn't mind i wouldn't mind yeah. microsoft teams yeah. but I don't know why. I feel like everyone wants to have more meetings than they'd ordinarily have. I don't know if you've felt that way as well. Like, Yeah, I was joking to a friend of mine. Uh, I was saying that, you know, somebody who worked in government used to say to me, um, attending meetings is a, K- is a KPI in their workplace. And, like, she's like, yeah, no, now during lockdown, it looks like attending, attend, like, the more meetings you attend, the more likely you're going to get a bonus if such a thing still actually exists in this world, you know? Okay, then maybe I should stop coming. It's a KPI, darling. It's a KPI. Attend look happy, look enthusiastic, you know? So I'm, we haven't been doing video, which I've been grateful for because I... My hair under this is just, it's, it's a I lot. I know, hair's a big problem. I had an afro for quite a while, and yeah, it was wild. So I just switched off the video, because <laughs> I was thinking, my afro's not looking good, I'm trying. But the hairline issues, all of that wonderful stuff, eh? <laughs> Right, and people are like, let's have video. I'm like, let's not, let's not. Let's not have video. Right. Let's just deal with audio, it's enough. I mean, we're here Can to you talk imagine? about what we need to do. We don't need to be seeing each other's faces. <laughs> <laughs> no it's okay i'm like we all know how we look it's okay <laughs> yes. video. And we don't need to see how we look in real life when we're at home wearing pajamas you know <laughs> yeah my mom judged me the other day she called me at like 10 and i was in my pajamas she's like how can you be in your pajamas at this time i'm like girl bye <laughs> We're all going to you say, you're like, what am I dressing up to go to? You know, I mean, really, the kitchen, the lounge, there's only so much, you know. <laughs> also, you know, maybe it's okay to just enjoy being able to be in your pajamas at 10 o'clock on a work day. Can I just... But can you imagine what it's going to be like when we're all back in... If, well, I mean, obviously, we are all going to go back to our real world at some point. But, you know, I think it'll be awkward for a lot of people because, you know, you just become accustomed to just being yourself and not really doing any high maintenance stuff, you know, because you you just have your, your few people around you, your family or your whoever it is that you live with. So I think the new normal is going to be staggering. And I don't think people will be I don't even know if I'll still be able stuff. to wear my work clothes because I have not been social distancing from the fridge. From the food, <laughs> no, I joined the crowd. <laughs> so I was just like, oh my goodness. My work clothes are just like looking at you like, are you sure you want to... Are you sure? But we've been staying away from the wine, you know. <laughs> yeah, look, I don't even drink, but uh, I think that I need a social distance from chocolates, you know. <laughs> just lock it. Just get a big, a big lock, and just you know. <laughs> I those old school, <laughs> old school things. Anyway, before I I get carried away, welcome everyone <laughs> to um 
to another episode of The Lockdown with the Cheeky Natives. We have the amazing Angela Makola Mwabelo today. I am actually going to read her bio before we get started. I know everyone has lots and lots of questions, especially about some of her earlier her earlier. Books. I can't believe Sugiswa just said I've got a cup of... I've, she says, I bet you have wine in that cup of tea. <laughs> so do you have wine? Do you have wine? And now you are um, the few who still have wine. Mm. You're going to have to prove it. You're going to have to come here and prove what is in the very large cup. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm sure there's lots of tea in that mug. So I'm super excited. <laughs> I'm quite excited to welcome uh, onto the Cheeky Natives, Angela Makola Mwabelo. Uh, from an early age, Angela Makola harbored dreams of becoming a storyteller. Her love for the written word saw her first short story being published at the age of 13 in the popular youth publication, Upbeat Magazine. From that moment, the bug had bitten. Angela went on to graduate as a journalism major at Rhodes University and practiced as a journalist for several years before starting her own PR and events management company, Bright Spark Communications, in 2002. Her debut novel, Red Ink, is a crime thriller set in Johannesburg, which was published to both public and critical acclaim in 2007. This was followed by The 30th Candle, a book that revolves around university friends who navigate their way to their 30th birthdays with humorous and sometimes unexpected results. The Black Widow Society, published in 2013, follows the cloak and dagger workings of a secret society of middle-class Black women who plot to eliminate their errant husbands through devious and underhanded means, giving fresh meaning to the words, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. Angela's most recent novel, The Blessed Girl, is a satirical novel told from the perspective of a young woman who engages in transactional relationships with married men in order to access the opulent lifestyle she believes she deserves. Angela has gained both critical and popular acclaim for her contribution to African literature and has been nominated for several literary awards. The crime and women's fiction writer has been invited to speak at a number of local and international literary events and is committed to the advancements of literature on the African continent. She works with a number of young South African writers to encourage the love of reading among township and rural youth through various initiatives such as Read SA. Angela Makola is currently working on her fifth fictional title. Yeah, I've got the manuscript. Okay, so Angela has the manuscript, so you already know it's going down. Welcome, <laughs> welcome once again. Um, so you know, I have like five million things that I'm sure I want to ask you, and lots of people want to ask you because we just have so much that we can discuss about your amazing journey as a writer. But before we start, can I ask you to please read from The Blessed Girl, um, okay. those, those pages that we spoke about. And for those of you who, who have the novel, you have to guess which page she's reading from, jokes. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I've read so many times on this page. I was trying to avoid it. You know that? <laughs> no, you can't. This is the page, Angela. This page that gives the, the context Inali, to that everything. Thing. 
All right. Okay, I'll indulge you. Um, so the blessed girl, as you've uh, outlined, is about, you know, our young lady, Bonketau. Um, she's living kind of the high life in, you know, cosmopolitan Johannesburg. So this is kind of an introductory yes, yes. chapter where we get to know who she is. And, you know, she's <laughs> bragging. She's really kind of laying it, laying it on very thick uh, to the readers so that they understand who they're dealing with, Ms. Bunketau. Um, so she says, my name is Bunketau. The first thing you will notice about me is my honeycomb complexion, my almond-shaped eyes, the mole on the right corner of my mouth, and my luscious lips. From a very young age, I knew that I was exceptionally beautiful. I saw it in the way that adults looked at me, the compliments showered upon my mother for my good looks, the way that grown men would just stop and gape at me. At school, teachers would give me a free pass on tasks that were expected of other children. From the moment I was born, my parents knew that I was destined to go far, purely because of the way that I looked. Hence, they named me Bunk, the beautiful one. It doesn't help, it doesn't hurt that my name Tao means lion. I'm a beautiful and fierce lion. Watch out, world. People don't understand that when your physical attributes are the most exceptional things about you, the sun orbits around your world instead of the other way around. If I were given the option to to spend a lifetime as Albert Einstein or Marilyn Monroe, I choose Marilyn Monroe every time, drugs and all. I think that despite some of her bad choices, she still had so much quality of life. And that word, that, that weird looking chemist, or was he a scientist? Ugh, whatever. I just love girls who know how to make the most of their looks. Marilyn Monroe was the original blessie. And you can quote me on that one. Yes. When I realized, <laughs> Were you saying something? <laughs> no, 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 I'm having a moment with Winter. <laughs> You're having a moment. Okay, when I realized that most people were willing to let me get away with just about anything because of my looks, I learned to manipulate. No, um, let's just call it take advantage of situations. And, you know, as collateral damage, I sometimes um, also learn to take advantage of people. I can't really... I don't really care about people who judge me. It's mostly the ones who haven't made it, uh, who haven't made anything of their lives anyway. Average people tend to be average at just about everything they do. And exceptional people tend to excel at at least one or two things in life. The skill that I have honed and perfected from a very young age is that of charming people to get my way. Malcolm Gladwell said that if you spend 10,000 hours honing a skill, if you practice incessantly at it, you are most likely to be uh, a champion at, at, in that field. I've been charming the pens of people from the day I was born. Um, at school, when I didn't feel like t attending classes, I would uh, get a boy in class to take notes for me and even go as far as... Um, to come through to my, ask them to come through to my house to update me on everything that I, had, that I had missed in class. When I realized how easy it was to convince people, especially boys, uh, to do what I wanted, I decided that that was how I was going to cruise my way through life. People think that my lack of academic prowess makes me dumb, just, but they just don't understand that I'm smarter than they are. I apply an 80-20 principle in the way that I live my life. 20% effort for 80% reward. This philosophy has ensured that I notch up the kind of successes that most people my age only dream about. 
One day, I'm going to get someone to write a book about my philosophy on life. Then there's a, you know, there's a lot of poor souls that would benefit from my simple yet highly effective outlook. I'm currently 24 years old. I own two businesses, a fully paid up penthouse in, on Grayson Drive in Sandton, right at the heart of Johannesburg's swanky metropolis. And I drive a luxury vehicle, a convertible, no less. Not bad for a girl from Mami Lodi. Yep, that's my hood, baby. I barely scraped through my trick and I've never spent a single day in a university lecture hall. But what I lack in academic qualifications, I more than make up, in my, make up for in my street smarts. My role model is Donald Trump. This one makes me cringe. <laughs> My role model is Donald Trump. The only books in my house are Motivational Treasures by the likes of my hero, Donald Trump, Richard Branson, <laughs> and books about how to manipulate men. <laughs> I really love those. I think anyone who, who's dumb enough to study psychology should actually stop wasting their time and just read books like Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, or Why Men Love Bitches. Oh, yes, I have a PhD in mencology, baby. That's it. Yes! We have convertible sense and hello. Come on, somebody. Um, so before we even talk about Buntle, because you know, as Buntle, Buntle is, is an interesting character. I mean, this is You've not just finished your first novel, but at the time, this was book number four. Um, and that's a triumph for anybody, particularly a black woman publishing in South Africa, knowing what our publishing industry is like, right? So, I mean, I'm really curious about what you think of the evolution of your journey from Red Ink to now having written Blessed Girl and what it means to, for you to have had four books uh, about black women and black women's stories in an industry such as the one that we have in South Africa? Um, I, I, I think I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it in that context necessarily. It's more, you know, when I think about my writing journey, I reflect back on myself as a young black girl living in the township. I, I, was, I, I, I grew up in Tembisa in the East Rand. And I remember I, I was always fascinated by books. I mean, I lived inside book pages, um, like most of us who are book lovers. Um, and I remember, I think I must have been around, it, was, it must have been around that time, around 13 or 14, when I kind of had this inkling that this is something that, what we're writing is something that I would love to do one day. But <laughs> the minute kind of that thought was engraved in my mind, it felt impossible. It felt, mm. it felt like I'm dream. It, it's a dream that I will never achieve because mm. there were just not that many books or at least I did not have access to books written by black African women, black South African women. Um, as much as I was surrounded by literature because my father kind of made, an, made you know, went out of his way um, to expose us to a lot of books. He was an English teacher, but it was mostly English literature. And if it wasn't English literature, then, you know, I went through that phase where you discovered your James Hadley Chase that I think we all kind of managed to sneak into our little corners and, and read while our parents are not aware that we're well, not mindful that we're reading that kind of stuff but yeah I mean it just seemed very far-fetched and so mm. 
looking at my life now, it's 2020 and I've written, well, four books and I'm on my fifth novel. I suppose it is quite, you know, it's, it's, I'm, I'm kind of dumbstruck by it in a way. If I look, if I look back at myself and where I was at that time and just how impossible it seemed, it just mm. seemed like something that you couldn't even dream about as a young black girl. It really didn't. Yeah. So, so I guess I feel blessed, you know, to have the opportunity yeah. to do this. Yeah. So I love your books because you're writing about women that I can see, that I can relate to, because it's women who live like me, um, women who've had sort of similar, similar stories or similar journeys. I was thinking of 30th Candle, and now I am very close to 30, you know, and, and like when I first read it, I was like, oh my God, 30 is so old. Now I'm close <laughs> so to 30. These people are so pathetic. <laughs> and I was like, yo, back oh, are these people, wow, you know, because you, cause you think at 30, you'll just, you'll have it together, you know? Yeah. Um, these, these are women who are also really relatable, just your characters, even in, in red ink, right? Um, or, or, or like the Black Widow Society. These are Black women who are very, are, are relatable, right? So mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I guess you've spoken about about it a little bit, but I, I just want to expand a little bit on that idea of why you particularly write about these kinds of, of women, right? That I feel like we all, are they based on women that you know? Do you base it on your friends? Um, how do you decide on, on your characters, I guess? But also I, to add on to that question, um, what do you feel about the tag of chick lids, right? I, I was having a conversation with a friend, you know, and they were saying, um, I just, I want a light book, you know, chick lids. But there's this feeling that chick, chick lids or women writing about themselves or other women is a, like a light, is a light read. It's, it's not a serious genre, right? Um, and I, I guess this may be something that you've also encountered in your own, in your own writing or people's perceptions of your writing. Yeah, I think, um, you know, the label of chiclets, I mean, I'm happy to say that it's slowly eroding. It's really fading away. I would say that the only title of mine that I would hear people refer to as as chiclet would would be um, 30th candle and I think it's because at that time you know that 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 label was still being banded about but Mm. but right now if you think about literature I think you know if you go into a bookshop um in as far as new writing is concerned I would say Mm. that women probably make up almost about 50 percent of, mm-hmm. of the kind of literature that's available. Um, and also more critically that readers are by and large, especially readers of fiction are by and large mm-hmm. women, especially in South Africa. I mean, whenever I speak to readers um, at, at different platforms at festivals and things like that, um, there's usually, you know, the majority of people that are represented there are females. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a very ridiculous title because, you know, our, like the kind of, fiction or the kind of uh, mm. literature that I write is so different from any uh, um, number of, 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 of my fellow female writers who are writing mm. at this moment. I mean, um, I've got, I've got Sisonke's book in front of me, Always Another Country. I mean, that's obviously nonfiction. It mm. tackles so the, the, the topics, the, um, you know, the, the, the subject matter is so different from what I tackle. So I think it's very dismissive and very disrespectful, mm. uh, disrespectful rather to, to try and, 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 you know, Put us in a little corner like that and it's actually quite ridiculous it's um it's it's a very outdated concept mm. um in terms of the characters that i write about i mean i like the fact that 
you know, my characters, well, I like, I like writing about people who are not perfect, who haven't mm. got this life thing sorted. You know, um, mm. I like to reflect on strong women. Um, they, they, they've got it together in the sense that a lot of them have um, a sense of purpose and a, and a fairly good sense mm. of who they are, but they are on a journey. They're kind of on, a, on some kind of journey of discovery. With Lucy, it was, uh, she was kind of in a messy relationship um, and she was making this transition from one career to another. Mm. She was a single mom and she was kind of traversing her personal life and her own kind of career ambitions to be, you know, she, like she was merging a, a, a period in her life where she's moving from being an investigative journalist to being a, um, a, a, a business owner, but at the same time having these ambitions to write a book. And she chose kind of a strange subject matter, a serial killer. Um, and, and, mm. and so we kind of went through that journey with her, uh, with all its ups and downs and its thrills. Mm. And, and I enjoyed writing a thriller, um, especially because there wasn't, there wasn't that, uh, there weren't th that many um, thriller, you know, African uh, thriller titles at the time. And mm. I love reading um, thriller titles. I'll show you even with my little collection, got lots of thrillers here, uh, both mm. local and international. So that was, um, you know, it was, it was gratifying to be able to, to mm. tackle that kind of subject matter. Because also, I think at that time, when I was younger, the other uh, way in which African writers were pigeonholed was that we were kind of seen as activists more than writers. So if you're an African writer, you were, you were expected in a way to reflect on, you know, our politics, uh, which was important at the time and is important right now. But I think that it's also unfair to expect every African writer to be an activist or to be somebody who's kind of politically very vocal. Um, because I think as human beings, we are not just made up by our politics. We are made up by a lot of things. We're made up by our socioeconomics. We're made up by, you know, uh, uh, our private lives and the kind of choices we make as individuals. Um, and so I thought it was important to be able to show a multifaceted picture of what it is like to be an African living on this continent mm. at this time. And it was important to kind of cut down all the different kind of issues that we deal with, not only as women, but just as individuals, the kind of personal choices that we make. Um, and so that's why I think my books tend to be so varied in the types of topics that they, they, they tackle because um, it's just very um, exciting for me to be able to show us as more than just one thing because I feel like uh, too often we are typecast as like a whole kind of population, like an ethnic group, a kind of type pass to be like one thing, like just pick one thing to be in one decade. You're going to be the angry black women this decade. Okay, fine. Next decade, what are we, you know? So, and, and we're much more than that, of course, and we all know that. Um, I know, like lots of people have potentially asked this question, but we really need an answer. Is there going to be a sequel to Red Ink? Oh my goodness, you love this question, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know my friend and I were talking about Red Ink the other day and we just like no. Angela did not leave us. We in need the to know what she left then. us. Um <sighs> you can't. Remember no guys. I I, know. Can everyone can everyone in the comments please support me? I know you all want a sequel to Red Ink. I need all of you to please peer pressure Angela to give us a sequel to Red Ink because she I is not allowed to I hate it. this Red Ink question, hey. <laughs> Do you get asked? Uh, okay. do, do you get asked often about the secret? A lot. Jeez, all the I think almost everyone who's read and loved Red Ink has 
come back to me has gone and sent me either a text or an email some have stalked me and have said <laughs> we need to know what happens next so and i don't and, and the sad thing is i actually don't have an answer to this question because i think my mind um it it, it just works at a at a strange kind of pace like I'm always wanting something new to write about and so I think it will always be challenging for me I mean I've, mm. I've had people talk about you know approach me to write series you know serialized books and I know that there's just something in my process in my creative process that wants a beginning and an end and I think my mistake with red ink which is why it's haunting me is because I did not give people a satisfactory end I gave people an open-ended end which is why people keep on wanting to know what happens next so we'll see maybe uh you know as you evolve as a writer as I evolve as a writer um that window of you know continuity may open up you know and when mm. it does um you'll be the first to know that reading too look i'll even <laughs> i'll even take a movie where you just finish where we, i tell you what happens next okay so yes, maybe we, that's a good compromise that we could work towards you know maybe yeah that could you be know a someone compromise. is saying uh people love closure i actually don't even love closure i don't believe in closure i'm team you just, care, you just care about the fact that this guy is running around Johannesburg. Do you know what it is? It's, <laughs> it's that he, like, lived in my head, right? He, like, he was in my head at the end of this book. And I guess that's just a testament to, to, an, amazing, to an amazing book that he lived in my head. And I was like, get him out. Um, <laughs> but I see there's some haters in the comments, like Ziggy Self, who are anti-my sequel movements. I'm just going to ignore them. I'm just ignoring Ziggy right now because bye. <laughs> but um I just think if you do a sequel she will just own you as a friend. <laughs> Why? <laughs> wow, everyone is like anti Sorry, no sequels. Yes, my favorite professor <laughs> has endorsed it. Case You know what? When two of my own. faves are like anti this 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 continuation of team of delete and block <laughs> she says no sequels that's like the fourth person who said no sequels so i think i don't think you're winning this battle where are the I, where are my stalkers they must come and help you with your cause and <laughs> i know that people on the inside are like wanting to know about red ink but they just feeling pressured now it's fine guys we're talking with DA. oh shame they're all abandoning you hey there's so many no sequels she's shame man this is really sad hey do you know what it is? It's fine. It's okay. You see, you're not a good activist. You should have formed a group before going online. And like, okay, bring back Red Ink. And then, you know, your guys, your people would have been blasting, you know, our IG. The thing is, people stay blasting you in the DMs. I don't know why they're getting on Instagram. and They're shy. shy. They're shy. But I can't, I can't do my, my Facebook group is coming. Is a my Facebook group is coming. I see all of y'all. I see all of y'all. But I'm... Um, <laughs> I guess, you know, I really want to talk about... I'm seeing so many uh, laughing emojis, eh? <laughs> people are laughing at my pain, but I can't, guys. I can't, um, So I actually want to talk about Blessed Girl, which is your latest novel. Well, it's not your latest novel. You've got your first novel that you're working on. But Blessed Girl, firstly, we need to begin by... I just want to congratulate you. Blessed Girl uh, was announced on the long list for the Comedy Woman in Prince Prize in april this year which is amazing congratulations Thank what are your you. thoughts about about uh, this long listing how do you feel i think for me the most 
uh, important thing that I am taking out of, you know, being having this book long listed for that price is the fact that there is now a realization that you could have kind of a subcategory. So this goes uh, to show that you can't, you know, um, you can't just section off women's literature as as chiclet you know some of us write comedy some people like write drama some people write thrillers so for me the most affirming thing about just the existence of even this prize is the is realizing that people are now waking up to the fact that women are not just like being a woman is not a genre you can't be you can't call being a woman a genre because that's what calling women's fiction or women or, or chiclet that's what categorizing something as women's literature does. Mm -hmm. um, so what I love about, you know, just the existence of this prize is the fact that we are starting to have um, the recognition that we are all writing um, with different voices, different mm -hmm. styles, um, different genres. So that is the most exciting thing to, to me about the prize. So uh, James, we've got some questions. I'm, Ignoring Zigisa, but I see you. We need the sequel, yes, I agree. Um, James is asking, what is that postscript to The Blessed Girl about? What's that? James is, right, is, is asking? Uh, James is asking, what was the postscript to The Blessed Girl about? Which postscript? Okay, I'm going to ask James to just expand in the, in the comments. Um, people are saying blessed, uh, Rushka is saying blessed girl was so funny. Some of the things that were said. And as uh, you were saying, Troy just said that if we'd been the Twitter generation of writers, <laughs> you'd have been the writer twerking on Twitter. What kind of nonsense is that? <laughs> just because I wrote blessed girl, now I'm a, twi I'm a twerker. <laughs> he must explain himself. Um, and, um, uh, feminist so prop from that saying, being a woman is not a genre. We need to make a t-shirt. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so before we even go far, what do you think Winter would be doing, would be doing during COVID? Oh my goodness. She'd be trying to sell hair online. And of course, you know, <laughs> the uptake would be very low because we all just chilled and staying home. And then she'd be texting uh, Papa Jeff, who'd be mm. on lockdown. And, you know, Mrs. Papa Jeff obviously has Papa Jeff's phone right now. And then um, she would try to hit up um, uh, Mr. Emmanuel, who wouldn't even be in <laughs> South Africa and can't fly to see her because he's in New York, you know, kind of chasing his oil company and trying to keep mm. it afloat. And then, of course, she would try the teddy bear and hope that he'd give her tenders for the masks or the, or the latest gloves, you know. Um, and then, of course, Teddy would say to her, but you messed up the construction tender. I can't trust you anymore, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so it would be a very, very tricky time for Wonja right now. <laughs> okay, so... Um, and she wouldn't there's... be twerking. <laughs> hey, she wouldn't be twerking because I don't think she's a twerker. <laughs> but she'd be smuggling men in the complex for extra <laughs> oh Somebody's more inventive than I am. <laughs> so there's a question here, which I think really ties in nicely to, uh, I guess, the conversation we're having about the the blessed girl also being published internationally and the different endings that you had uh, for the international publication and the and the South African publication. So why did you decide to have different endings for the two books? Um, 
it wasn't my decision to be honest um so the so bloomsbury publishers my my uk publishers mm-hmm. were they had an issue with my my south african ending and i, I at first kind of i struggled to to reconcile myself with that you know request or that question um so the main issue was that you know it's not a happy ending you've read you've read mm-hmm. Blessed Girl. it's not a happy ending and i've heard i've i've also had feedback from my local readers that you know did, did things really have to end up so badly for her um and so you know we had a long back and forth um in the editing process because i wanted my kind of happy median in that mm. negotiation um I, and and i still insisted that i can't have kind of a hollywood ending where you know she ends up with the guy and she's happy ever after and she's riding off into the sunset because it, it's just not what i had in mind for the 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 kind of book that i wanted to bring out you know mm. for me there were some key kind of social issues that i wanted to underline with it and you know some people are not happy with that but you know with with some of the messaging around the book but for me it was important and um and obviously it's open to debate because books are there for us to debate and you know um there's no one way of looking at it um but you know so in the end i I, I, I kind of, um, the ending is not as <laughs> dire as, as the South African ending, but it's very similar. It's just a few tweaks that, that led to a, a slightly different outcome for Bundy. So you'd have to read, you'd have, so when you read them, they're not two totally different books, mm-hmm. but they make you think about Bundy's situation um, they, they make you ponder it in different ways. It's kind of like mm. a sliding doors kind of thing. You know, I don't know if you watched that movie Sliding Doors where you go through the same things, but then if you make a certain turn, the outcome is just slightly different um, mm. because of like a slightly different decision or choice that you made at that particular point in time. So I, I just want to talk a little bit about the South African, the South African ending. I found... It was it was such a sad ending. I understand that it was realistic, uh, or that that people felt that the ending was realistic. Um, but I'm really curious about the the ending. You said that you wanted to highlight social issues. Can you just talk a little bit about why you felt that Buntle's story ended the way that it did? So this is where I get slammed a lot, but. Um... You know, as writers, often we say we don't want to be judgmental towards our characters, and it's a very, um, it, it, it's a very positive kind of um, outlook to that creative process. Mm-hmm. But I also feel, you know, as a member of our society, I've, I mean, obviously, I'm I'm a member of the society, and I feel that there's certain when 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 certain anomalies become norms um, and nobody speaks up and we kind of accept because we are saying that you're embracing your liberties, you're expressing yourself, you're, uh, you know, enjoying your body and, and everything else. I still feel that there needs to be some caution um, and it doesn't have to be necessarily preachy. We don't need to be preachy about cautioning 
um, young people ab about the kind of choices that they make in life. And so that's why even the tone of the book is so, it's, it, it's, it, it, it comes across as light, but it's actually not. Um, and I think some people pick up on the satire and recognize it for what it is. Mm -hmm. And some people kind of are dismissive and think this is kind of a light, fluffy novel, but it's not. Uh, because there's a lot of uh, deep issues that um, I address in the book. And one of the, 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 the issues that people kind of make fun of now when people are living in this kind of lockdown there's a lot of there's a big narrative that's going around like oh what happened to all the slave queens now they're living their real lives and you know people kind of poking fun at, at people in that lifestyle and the way that I approach it in the book is such that I want to reflect that some of it is real some of it is not um but that the people living that life some of them do buy into that illusion to the extent that they lose themselves in the illusion. And that is why, you know, Bunte's life unravels in the way that it does because mm. she kind of misses the moment where she can separate illusion, mm. you know, like being the master of the illusion um, and being kind of a victim of it, being caught up in it and not recognizing that I'm putting this, sh this, this show on for people, but I know myself, like when I'm, sitting down alone as Bonte, I know where the bullshit ends and where it begins. And so, and so the reason that her life ends up being the way it is is because she kind of missed the opportunity, as smart as she is, and she is a clever girl, is that she missed the opportunity to recognize where she's playing us um, and, and ends up kind of playing herself, you know. And I think that's kind of an important distinction that I wanted to kind of underline with this. And that's why it kind of ended as badly as it did, because I mm -hmm. feel like sometimes if we, we don't underline it, um, people end up thinking that we've bought into the illusion and that we can't see what's really happening, you know. And then they think that we enjoy the illusion, you know, mm -hmm. and, then, and then they become victim to it. So... There's a question here, and I guess it will tie in with what I wanted to talk about. Um, they, there's a question about what was the writing, what was the inspiration for for black for blessed girl? Was it was it the question was was it based on somebody that you that you know? <laughs> Were there people who recognized themselves in the book? Okay, <laughs> all right. So I, I'm uh, like, I'm, Wednesday, I'm scared of lawsuits. <laughs> So um, Look, it, okay. it, it was inspired by you know what I what I what um what I see um people that I've interacted with like personally um and I think maybe that's why there was that element of you know me wanting it to be a cautionary tale because I think as you know as a as a black woman I'm invested in what happens to younger women around me. Um, I'm, 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 I'm invested because I care. I'm invested because mm -hmm. I want the best outcome. And so maybe there was a bit of, uh, you know, being a mama bear involved in that. Uh, I, I don't know. But um, yeah, it, it, it did come from a genuine concern. Mm. So I want to talk about Ubuntle. Ubuntle as a protagonist, the story is written from Ubuntle's perspective. However, interesting or like flawed that you think Muntle's perspective is because she comes across sometimes initially as a little bit superficial right so you read it and she's telling us about 
how she knows about me in college you know Bunta as, as a as a protagonist is very very interesting why do you think that firstly why do you think that it was important for the story to be written from Bunta's perspective in the way that it does that it is but but also just to take us through Bunta as a as a character she's so multifaceted just when you want to write her off as just being the superficial you know like not so intelligent person she continuously reveals layers of herself that prove otherwise right yeah um i think the the reason and and this is the only character about well, the only book that i've written in first person mm. um and i think it's because i recognized judgment from myself as a person and as a, a writer and so i felt i felt that it was important for me to be able to remove judgment i had to walk in her shoes i had to be her and i had to think like her and i had to understand her choices and by so doing it actually helped me deepen like the the complexity of the character because by doing that i could then pose a question to myself why am i maybe one of the reasons why i'm like this i bonte is it could be something to do with my childhood my background mm. or um you know it could be to do with you know trying to enhance an image that people may already have of me and because i have been swept up by it i don't know how to be any other way you know mm. um and 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 i also that actually i i pushed myself even further with the uk version um because with the uk version i was forced to find another way for her um mm-hmm. which was actually quite a it was a very humbling process in a way because um i think that book that version of the no- novel kind of gives her even more humanity um mm-hmm. you know and without taking away anything from south african readers who read this south african novel but it does it does give her back a lot of some of the humanity that maybe because of this ending um you know um that is so sad that that i didn't afford her to kind of try and turn a different corner the corner that she turns is not like vastly different it's not like she kind of went and i don't know changed her choices or whatever she's she did almost everything that she did but the moment that i said you miss you can miss in life where you you saying okay yes this is an illusion that i've created but like is this really me you know mm. that moment when you sit with yourself and you just kind of introspect and say like is this all that i have to offer myself in the world and um and so that's what she does differently in that book and um and i i think artists i think that's why maybe creativity and expression is so important because when you get into a creative process you 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 take away a lot of the layers of how of, of judgment that mm. uh, you use in the lens that you view the world because when you go deeper inside yourself and you try to place yourself in a different um circumstance or a different character or a different context whether you're painting or you're singing or whatever kind of artistic expression it is you really do have a uh, a deeper empathy just for mm. for others for, for other humans for humanity um and I, and that's one of the biggest things that I've come out with a, you know from being a writer from being somebody who uh, expresses myself in that particular way that i find humanity 
in people and in contexts that maybe you know through the the, the superficial lens that we all you know because we're so busy we just it's easy to judge it's easy to, to kind of put people in boxes and, and stuff like that but when you go inside yourself even as an artist then you peel away those layers and, and you try and see the person for for who they really are you know for for like their true their essence and that's that's kind of um one of the bigger outcomes of that process of writing this particular character i i think that it's so interesting that you've spoken about how in the other version you wanted to give her an opportunity to turn to turn the corner right because i think i often think of how grace um is not really afforded to to black women right so i think that people have space for every other person to make to make mistakes but i often think of how people behave when black women make mistakes whether it's black women that they admire or not i often feel like there's just such a small window of grace and of of understanding and people are just so much harsher in in their judgment so much harsher in the way that they would view the mistakes that black women make in ways that they may not necessarily for anybody else yeah i hear what you're saying and i know that um you know anyone who's listening to this obviously just thinks about recent developments and mm. it's a strange thing because it's almost as if you know black women we are expected to to fail um not only by by others but also by 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 black women and black men you know and so you find that somebody who's um been put on a pedestal because of maybe you know kind of their their intellectual output or artistic output or whatever it is if they do just that one little thing you know That's the wolves true. come out you know and you don't you know you 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 find that you've got enemies that you didn't even know existed like the people that you thought were in your corner um suddenly turn into your worst critics and mm. i don't know um i don't know if it's because society has failed to kind of cultivate safe spaces for us to just be ourselves once and all and i think that's why when i try to portray my characters i mean they always have some kind of flaw like they're not perfect per- like they're not perfect perfect you know and i always look at you know english and this is a thing i don't know if i'm meandering off of of topic here but i always look at especially when when you know the uk publisher was saying oh you know but we want a happy ending and all that mm-hmm. and you you find kind of european heroines especially in a romantic in in, in women's fiction or women's literature or whatever you want to categorize it as um they usually very insecure mm. you know about their bad is my bad too big have i gained weight have i not mm. gained have i shed you know <laughs> that's that's mm. usually kind of the running um insecurity and you know with black women maybe it's the fact that black women when they are confident in themselves they're actually scarily confident you know um it's very rare that even you know a, a confident woman a confident black woman who is according to western standards kind of overweight when 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 you see women who have beautiful curvaceous bodies express themselves there's no insecurity like there's no room for it mm-hmm. and i think maybe it's it, it I, i'm 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 obviously trying to to understand this but i think maybe it is because that when black women are 
confident of who they are. It's a fierce confidence. It's a scary confidence. It's like a fire that, you know, um, can't be extinguished. And I think people are scared of that. I think as people, people prefer people to always show how vulnerable they are. Don't be too confident because we're going to bring you down because you, now you've, you've, you, you kind of, you're, you're overdoing this. You're too confident. You're too full of yourself. So I think that's why we're always so ready to kind of cut down to pieces any black woman who kind of manages to soar, you know, above the limits that we think are enough. Like you, you can be great, but you can be good, but don't be great. Cause now, and, and, or you can be great, but don't tell us how great you are because then you're going to piss, piss us off and you want to cut you down to size kind of thing. It's kind of that because kind of born, right? mentality. How yeah, you? because they are born. And black women have that thing when they're confident. They can't, like when black women are confident, they're confident. They don't make excuses about how confident they are. And if they think they're smart, they'll say, I think I'm smart. I know I'm smart, you know? Um, <laughs> I, I, I wonder about that because... That. I, I wonder about that, that whole confidence thing being used in, in the context of black women, because I think if you've ever encountered a mediocre, straight white man who knows absolutely nothing about any field that you may be in, there is a confidence that is unmatched, right, that that, that kind of mediocre white man has, that yes. nobody will ever, ever come in I don't know if we are necessarily um, scarily confident. So if there's just an expectation on us not to be to be confident, because no. if you or oh, you think it's it, a fear of that confidence, you, you think potentially you don't think it's you think it's a fear of that confidence or it's a an irritation with the confidence. Like why? Are I think you it's confident? potentially yeah, potentially an irritation with it. Um, because these are the same people who would not feel any type of way about how confident mediocre white men are in any space that they enter, right? And just feel like you are an expert. So that's why you can be an expert on educational psychology, but want to speak on the epidemiology of COVID-19 and not have anybody question where your confidence would emanate from, right? And mediocre as you are. So it's always interesting to see how people perceive black women being self-assured black women being assertive um black women really just being self-assured it's always it's always interesting to see the same people's reactions right um yeah yeah. so our instagram is very generous it's about to to kick us out can i ask if we can just borrow a little bit more of your time because i really want to talk about this long-listed novel which is just delving into into the winters of our time. I want to talk about my new novel too. <laughs> yes. So we also want to talk about your new novel. We want to talk a little bit more about Wintley before everybody in the comments kills me because everyone loves Wintley. But we also want to know about your new novel. We want to know what's next. Uh, what are we awaiting? We just basically want to know everything about you. <laughs> okay. So I just wanted to have a small moment to plug my manuscript. It's not even a novel yet. The working title, which you can't see, but I'm forcing it anyway because I'm an over overly confident black woman. <laughs> yes, and you're gonna tell us more about it. Uh, I'm gonna save this this live, and then we'll start a new one, and we're gonna talk more about this new novel because we want all the juice. Um, say that again. Sorry, my kids are. Uh, so... <laughs> okay. So before, so Instagram's gonna kick us out just now. So I'm going to start a new live and I want to talk about your new novel. I want to talk about this, this, this manuscript that you're holding. We want to talk about next. So I'm going to end this live and I'm going to start a new one.
Cool. <laughs> cool.